Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, and sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of the Moines. And as we've worked through the book of 1 John together as a church, we've seen just how serious John is about the spiritual realm, particularly forces of darkness that John calls the spirit of the Antichrist, and a character that he even calls the evil one. So last week we did a nerdy deep dive on demons and their origins, and I got a lot of feedback from you guys about that podcast. So this week what we did is we brought in our resident demonology expert, Mm. (laughs) Andrew Self, to continue this conversation. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, We hope this podcast helps you worship local. I'm Cole. I'm one of the one of the pastors at Frontier, and I'm here with. I'm Andrew, and I'm another one of the pastors at Frontier Church. About time you're back, man! It's been a while since you've been on the podcast. I know it's been a giant void in my life that I'm glad to get to fill today. (laughs) Good. How's how have the last six weeks been, man? Tell us about Abel. How's your family doing? How was time off? Yeah, so I was graciously given four weeks off uh, by the the pastoral team and from the church to uh, help Tracy and um, help Lydia and Malachi as we welcomed Abel into the world. So he's doing uh, normal baby stuff right now, you know, crying a lot at night. Uh, he's doing better with the sleeping, but yeah, just being a normal baby right now. He was born three weeks early, so there's a little bit of developmental stuff that he's he's a little behind on. Um, his little internal sure. clock is different than everybody else's. So, so yeah, man, we're doing good. Family of five now. We're Tracy and I are in zone defense. Wow, dude. Wow, you're finally outnumbered, man. Yeah, they outnumber us for sure. Amazing, dude. Well, we love you and we missed you and we're we're glad that you're back. But I'm also psyched that you got those those four weeks with your family, man. What a sweet way to welcome Abel in. It's crazy. I. I preached that text on First John about Cain and Abel, like the week after Abel was born or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, I missed a lot of good stuff. Like some of, some of the parts of First uh, John that I was looking to the most, um, I was had to hop on the live stream for when I could. What, what would you say the parts that you look forward to the most in First John were? I mean, the Cain and Abel that, piece that you tied in. Like yep. The, um, I mean, really, this this probably the last four weeks. Uh, I mean, you know, I like some of the weird stuff in scripture and oh, some of the yeah. like going down the going down into all the the, the rabbit holes of uh, of the Bible. And so this this section of First John uh, did some of that stuff. So I'd have been yeah, hooting and hollering in the, from the back. You know, I I said this I said this in the podcast last week, but I really believe it. I think that John's I think that John as an apostle is understood or misunderstood and i think that first john as an epistle is misunderstood like so often you hear first john just referred to as bro it's just all about love and that's true like love and the demand to love is constant throughout the epistle Mm -hmm. um but i feel like you never hear people talking about first john as an epistle about spiritual warfare yeah and it totally is it definitely is and that's the the danger of just having like a particular system and uh, I, I think you've used this, this analogy before, but like a cheese grater, this is the cheese oh, grater yeah, yeah. and whatever comes to the other side is what's intended to come on the other side. So if this, if John is all about love, then that's the only way we can read this epistle is it's going through the cheese grater of love. And what's, com- what's, yeah. what's coming out is, is love. But there's all this cheese that yeah. gets left in the cheese grater, yeah, gotta, like the evil one and the spirit of the Antichrist. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that thing I shared on Instagram last night? Um, I don't think. I don't okay, think so. Yeah, it was dumb. You're probably you're lucky you didn't. It was this <laughs> cheesy '90s video of this dude singing a song about the Antichrist. And oh, I saw that you posted it, but I did not watch it. Yeah, the title was Me Trying Not to Be a Weird Christian, and also me, and it's a song about this dude saying, like, the Antichrist, he is not nice. Oh, it gosh. was horrible, dude. Dude. Yeah. I'm glad I missed out on that. That sounds vaguely <laughs> familiar to my, similar to my childhood, but... Oh, uh, yeah. So I probably, yeah, I'm glad it may have given me flashbacks of some bad VBS music. <laughs> okay, so... Before 
before we dive more deeply into our, our conversation about demons and their origins and what the Bible has to say about forces of darkness, how, how would you, for those who missed the last podcast, how would you summarize that? Okay, so you have it's a lot. Yahweh, a lot. the creator God, and he has spiritual beings who assist him, not because he needs help, but because he has chosen to have a the spiritual unseen family. And he and Yahweh creates an earthly family. He creates mankind, Adam and Eve. These are his earthly imagers who are gonna who are gonna fill the earth with God's yeah. image. Um there seems to be this faction of these spiritual beings. The divine council is an academic term for it. Psalm eighty-two. Psalm eighty-two. Word and, for it. And they, they, uh, they're not happy with God creating this this earthly family, these human beings. Yep. And so there's this this faction that rebels against God. They come down to earth. We see this in Genesis six, and they take for themselves women, human women, and they Oof. they mate with them and they create these giants these nephilim as they're as they're called in the text um and these these nephilim once they are killed they're the 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 spiritual being their spirits are removed from this human body and they become and develop into what we what the the bible would say are demons the shadim in the old testament and the demonia uh, in the in the New Testament, and and that part of the narrative comes through in First Enoch, mm-hmm. not in the canon, not in the correct? canon, not in the canon. So you have all right. this Second Temple Jewish literature um, that that draws and sources material from First Enoch um, that that these Nephilim, um, when they die, when they perish, their spirits become di- they become disembodied spirits, and they're constantly seeking a host to possess to control because they hate human beings so much. Sure. And does that play a factor when Jesus cast the demons out in the Gospels and they beg to go in the pigs? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. How, yeah. You know the story I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. They, 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 their whole point was to, to subvert God's proper order and structure of the world. They were so so mad at Yahweh. They were so mad at human beings. They were so mad at, at this newly created physical world that they just wanted to seek destruction of it. Um, so, so you have yeah, legion. G- right. The Gadarene, Jesus comes up and sees this man who you know, busts out of chains. He's naked. He's crazy. He's har- harming himself. And and they, the, the the demons, these disembodied spirits who were filling this man, they they realize who Jesus is, and they say, "Hey, it's not your time. What are you doing here?" And so yeah, mm-hmm. they say, "Well, throw us into the pigs." And then the pigs, you know, jump off a cliff and crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story's nuts. So yeah, I've I've not done a whole lot of reading on that. I remember uh, we were at the For the Church conference a couple of years ago, and Russell Moore preached on that. Oh, that was a great sermon. That was yeah, that was a great sermon. That was an awesome sermon. But yeah, I've not. I was I was thinking about that last night, but I didn't do it that huge of a of a dive into into that. But yeah, I think they these spiritual beings, these disembodied spirits, hate humanity and hate creation. That they are doing everything they possibly can to defile God's creation and to destroy God's image bearers. They see a right, human, right. they see a man, they see a woman, and they see Yahweh's reflection in them. Mm-hmm. And they want to kill, they want to destroy, and they want to mutilate humanity. That's good. Yes, we, we got these demons. Yeah, wow, okay. Um, so, I, I think a big question that people wrestle with and struggle with when they hear people talk about demonology and kind of talk about a theolo- a biblical theology about who demons are, what their origins are, and what their goals are. And I think one of the big questions that always comes to my mind is, how does this deepen like my theology of Jesus? How does this deepen my love for Jesus? Have you found any answer to that? Or- yeah, I mean, so you, we've talked, maybe the last podcast I did, we, but we talked about the significance of Jesus taking on flesh. So you have these spiritual beings who rebel against God, and they want to take over humanity. They want to destroy it. Yeah, they, yeah. They impregnate human women and create a spiritual offspring. That's so crazy, dude. So Jesus, in coming to earth and taking on flesh, he is coming to undo what they had done. He's coming to... to live the human experience, not to destroy it, but to make it what it should be, to, to live life as a, as a human perfectly so that he could credit to humanity who follow him and who trust in him and who believe in him, his righteous record, right? And so, so if you see that Jesus, even in, just in uh, taking on human flesh, 
that was an act of warfare on mm -hmm. Jesus' behalf, that he was coming to, to properly orient uh, humanity, to, to redeem what had been defiled. Um, and so, you see him engage in this, this spiritual warfare um, consistently throughout throughout the scriptures, whether it's him sending out his his disciples and to go and preach and declare that Jesus was here, that the Messiah is, is, has come. Um, <clears throat> you see this whenever Jesus casts out demons or, or heals people from unclean spirits. You see Jesus constantly waging war against the, the spiritual evil. Uh, you see him whenever he uh, is talking to his disciples and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we've talked about how um, one scholar says that's not the best translation, it, because it seems like the church is the one taking the beating. A better translation would be that yeah. the, the gates of hell will not withstand the church. That's right, yeah. But, so the church is on the offensive. The church isn't on the defensive, right? We, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so there's some, uh, in Psalm 91, it, there's, there's a lot of... Um, uh, imagery of, of these, um, these uh, spiritual beings, um, these evil forces, and a, a development in, especially in the Second Temple Jewish literature, but even Old Testament believers, they believe that, that David, that God had anointed David, made him king, and David's uh, throne would never end. His reign would never end. Now, did David yeah. die? Yeah, he died. So, yeah. how is it possible that his throne never ceases. His yeah, reign this is big. never ceases. This is so big in biblical theology. It is. So, and if you're just a short-sighted person and just be like, well, he died, so how his reign obviously ended. That That's a very Western way to approach things. You're thinking of lineage. You're thinking of your descendants constantly filling the, the throne and ruling on your, with your namesake. So, we see Jesus and in his lineage and his family tradition, we see that he is a descendant of David, right? And um, but an Old Testament belief, uh, uh, a Jewish tradition and belief was that the the uh, descendant of David, the the one who would properly take the throne, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, yeah, he would have the power to cast out these demons. He would have the power to to uh, engage in this spiritual warfare. And so it's significant if you're a Jewish person, if you're a disciple, and you see Jesus cast out demons, that's going to trigger in your mind. This is this is the Messiah. Oh, this yeah, is the one yeah. that we have waited for. Okay, so I have a question about that. Is it right then? Okay, so First Enoch teaches that um, demonic spirits are the result of the disembodied spirits of the dead bodies of the Nephilim, um, and Jesus is obviously the film, fulfillment of King David. Um, so, it, would it be right then, to, if you look back at David and Goliath, and you see David slaying Goliath, kind of like the last Nephilim and completing the conquest against these giant clans, um, would it be right in the New Testament? And the reason I ask this is because in the New Testament, you see this language continue. Um, you see Jesus be referred to as the Holy One of Israel, which is clearly a Davidic term. Mm -hmm. And then John almost picks up on that, and he refers to the evil one with that phrase, the evil one. So, you've got the Holy One versus the evil one. Is it right to think of this warfare as the spirit of David still at war against the spirit of Goliath? Jesus versus the spirit of Goliath? Yeah, I think that can be a helpful archetype to, to think through that. Like, it's this perpetual story. Like... Like um, like David versus Goliath is actually going to set the tone for what Jesus does spiritually in the New Testament. I, I think so. You know, having a Christological um, view of Scripture that that Scripture leads us and points us and uh, signals to us Jesus being the truer and better um, Israel, the truer and better David, the truer and better um, Moses, the truer and better Noah, so on and so forth. You can go. I think that's a helpful helpful way to to think about this that there is this cosmic war going on and we see uh, God's people at, at war but we also know that Jesus he's he, he didn't just come to earth and be like okay I'm going to die I'm going to be buried I'm going to descend to the dead I'm going to be resurrected and ascend on high and then I'm done with my job. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, Jesus is is still engaging in this warfare. So just as David slew Goliath Jesus is in the process of slaying the evil one. He's in the, in the, he is That's engaged right. in this war of destroying the Satan and his followers. And then protecting us from him. I mean, that I wanted to spend more time expositing this text last week, but um, 
1 John 5 says that we know that we are from, or sorry, 1 John 5 verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, singular, Jesus, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Mm. That's a powerful image. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm going to drop another Harry Potter reference. Oh, no. <laughs> I, was like, I wanted to use it in the sermon, but I was like, I have pushed the patience of our people too far. <laughs> okay, but I, I just got to I got to get it out of my system. So at the end of the first Harry Potter, it's the epic showdown where Harry Potter is is fighting against um, uh, Voldemort, right? Who's like the, he's the key bad guy. He's kind of the Satan figure in, in Harry Potter. And here's where it gets crazy. What what happened is Voldemort has actually inhabited another teacher at Hogwarts. So he's possessed another teacher whose name is Coral, and he's working through Coral. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how demons desire to take possessions of people biblically. Here's where it gets crazy. Voldemort, to try to defeat Harry, and the, I can't believe I'm talking like this. I can't either. <laughs> okay. I was the most surprising thing in the past... <laughs> Year that's been a very surprising year is you coming to my house to bring me a meal and telling me, dude, I started <laughs> I started reading Harry Potter. <laughs> Upset of the year, dude. Okay, so so Voldemort is working through Quirrell to try to destroy Harry Potter and get back this thing called the Sorcerer's Stone. And so Harry gets the Sorcerer's Stone and he's running away, and Voldemort says, "Grab him, grab him, grab him." And so. And so Quirrell does. He reaches out to grab Harry, and right when he touches Harry's skin, his hands burn, and he falls to the ground and starts writhing. <laughs> and he gets up, and he tries to grab him again. And every time he touches Harry, he burns, and he falls to the ground, and he can't touch Harry. And later on, the book describes why this is the case. It says, he says, uh, what Voldemort didn't realize, that love as powerful as your mother's for you. So his mom died for him. Um, and protected him from Voldemort when he was a kid. And it says, what he didn't realize is that love as powerful as your mother's leaves its own mark on you. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved us is gone, will give us some protection forever. It is in your very skin. And Quirrell, full of hatred and greed and ambition, sharing his soul with the evil one, could not touch you for this reason. It was agony to touch a person marked by something so good. I mean, totally like the love of Jesus and uh, the prayer of Jesus makes it, dude. just like John says, so that the evil one cannot touch us. That's, I was like, come on, that's straight Bible. I'm still not reading Harry Potter, but that's cool. <laughs> well, as I um, think of uh, in the betrayal of Jesus, it says Satan entered into him, to entered into Judas. Right. And so he grabbed a hold of him. And the evil one grabbed a hold of him, but and killed him. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. So yeah, that's really interesting, dude. Crazy. But that I mean, that text just popped popped yeah. to me this last week. <laughs> the evil one cannot touch him. Yeah, it's dude, like that, oh dang, that's awesome. Sorry, where were we? I, I don't remember. Went on a rabbit hole there. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. We were talking about the the kind of the messianic profile, the fact that Jesus casting out demons is, is significant in his proof of being the Messiah. That's right. And how first century Jewish people, when they saw that, they wouldn't have just thought, whoa, isn't that cool? And isn't he God? Although there's a component of that. Uh-huh. What they would have thought is, David's back. Yeah. And uh, so, so Psalm 91 um, says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find a refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night. Um, so this, so they believe, like um, scholars believe that the Fowler, deadly pestilence, uh, pinions, um, these are these words that are being used are are words that are uh, attributed to to um, other gods, to gods oh. not the god of, of Israel. So, so this like pestilence, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> and I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, I, I believe it's like uh, Mesopotamian uh, gods and um, spiritual beings. Um, but anyway, so it's that, that Yahweh is going to protect 
um, his people from from these beings. So that ties in with what you just said about um, uh, about First John. But so so, yeah. him, so him coming and being able to engage in this warfare against these spiritual beings to reclaim um, God's people for himself uh, is is significant in proving that he's the the Messiah. It's not just like oh that's, that's right a, yeah this is a cool stuff that this guy can do. He can cast out demons. It's like oh, this is this is the Son of God. This is the Son of Man. This is right. the promised Messiah that we've been waiting for forever. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like God is like, okay, now it's time for the rest of the world to become Jewish and Christian right now. There's a sense of that, but what's happening is now is the time for the Messiah to reclaim the nations from the grip of other demonic powers and forces and gods, mm-hmm. which is not a lot different. But it's, it's kind of like being in an elevator when, when the elevator jars just by one inch. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, it's just an inch deeper, but just that inch deeper makes your stomach drop. And for me, that's what happens when I begin to see Jesus' ministry in light of reclaiming the nations from sons of God. It's just an inch deeper than what I currently thought, but it makes my stomach drop. Yeah, man. I, I And we've had this, you know, you and I have been doing biblical theology for a couple of years, really intensely in this this particular area and trying to read the scriptures like an ancient person would so taking on their mindset of okay how i know how i read this as a 21st century american but how would a first century jew read this right how yeah. would how would an ancient israelite have have heard this when they when it was read in the in the te- in the temple um and so yeah it, it's not like oh our faith has changed it's i i if it, I hesitate to use the word change, but it's definitely been strengthened, man. The elevator thing. Yeah. An inch deeper, but yeah. it's made our stomachs drop. Yeah. So it's, you know, thinking before of, okay, you've got the triune God, and then you've got Satan, and then you've got some angels, and you you got some demons. And it's like, oh, the demons are just kind of the errand boys for Satan. And not knowing the origin story of that. How did these things come about? So you always had this, this spiritual family. Yahweh had the spiritual family. It was a it's a densely populated realm, um, <clears throat> and they each had a had a role to play in his his spiritual kingdom. But then you have these rebels, and this is what is is causing human sickness and suffering. It wasn't like Adam and Eve came up with the idea themselves to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were tempted by a spiritual being into rebelling against Yahweh. Yeah, that's right. So having that mindset, it just makes more sense when we see some of the commands in Scripture to, to, you know, take on the whole armor of God and to um, be sober-minded because Satan is prowling like a lion. You see the you see these commands to engage in this warfare to to pray like you use the you know wartime walkie-talkie analogy on Sunday. Oh, of, Piper's analogy. Of, yeah. That's so good, yeah. dude. <clears throat> it makes prayer so non-abstract. Yeah, and gives you such concrete visuals for what's it happening. It does. Like the urgency and the. Um, importance and the intimacy like sometimes i like to go and listen to uh to watch youtube videos of like they're they're soldiers on the ground and they've got air traffic controllers and Mm -hmm. they're being engaged by the enemy they're being shot at their ieds are blowing up and they're talking with the uh either the fighter pilots or the helicopter pilots and they're you know doing all these call signs is this troop 555 (laughs) (laughs) liar (laughs) that was that was funny Got so much feedback. Yeah, <laughs> if you didn't say troop, I probably like Stephen and I were talking about this. It's like it sounded like some Girl Scout unit. So. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like they're you know they're they're needing air support to overcome their enemy, and they're intimately acquainted with these fighter pilots and helicopter pilots, and they know the right they know what to say and when to say it, and the fighter pilots know it as well, and they see what's going on on the ground, mm-hmm. and so they. The, the guy on the ground has to say cleared hot for them to, you know, launch missiles or to shoot rockets or to fire their, their air cannons. Um, Cle- cleared hot? Cleared hot. Okay. So you have to be cleared hot so that, especially for, um, um, what do they call Danger, da- danger close okay. is what they call it. It's whenever you're calling in air support and it's not like they're two miles away and you're calling it, but they're, there's a danger for you to, to, uh, have friendly fire because the enemy's so close to you. Oh, okay. And you're in need of support, and so dang- they will say, "Danger close, cleared hot." 
And then that's when they engage the enemy. Oh, sweet. sweet. So I, there are times in my life where I feel like, yeah, I'm in danger close. There's the enemy is 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 right trying to sneak up behind me, and you know you're. I'm, talking with God. There's this urgency. God, please mm-hmm. rescue me from this. God, please heal this brother, heal this sister. God, please open a way for this person to, uh, for their eyes to be open to the goodness of Jesus. And you're, you're communing with the Father through prayer, and there's this urgency, and there's this intimacy. So, that, that analogy is awesome. Yeah. And so, here's, and this just deepens your understanding of prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. This is directly from Piper's article, which is where we get the analogy of prayer walkie or prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. This is so good. He says, this is exactly what you're saying too. Piper says, prayer is the communication by which the weapons of warfare are deployed according to the will of God. Prayer is for war. And the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of a believer is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. And until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. It is as though a field commander, Jesus, has called in the troops, given them a crucial mission, handed them each a personal transmitter, and said, Soldiers, the general has a mission for you. He sees, he will see it accomplished, and to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter. But then Piper goes on to say, but what have millions of Christians done? They have stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance. No strategic planning, just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what do they do with the walkie-talkie? They try to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the den. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whoa! I use this in youth ministry, and this is like the first time I've... Heard wartime walkie-talkie come back up probably in, in eight years. So yeah, <laughs> that was yeah, it. yeah, I was like, when you said, it, I was like, "Up, oh, this Piper." I know where that's from. Yep, <laughs> so yep. It's so helpful, man. It really is. And so having that, you know, inch of the elevator drop more than normal. If you believe that there are demonic forces at work, life, and it's not just like one or two, like just you know, whenever they feel like it they're going after the church, they're going after humanity, that creates an urgency to pray. And it mm-hmm. creates an urgency to know that evangelism, sharing the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, living a life that models what Christ can do in someone's life, it becomes so much more important because you, the enemy is not another human. The enemy is a spiritual being that is seeking to destroy humanity. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, like studying demons, studying spiritual beings, um, like it's it's just, it's made me want to pray more, pray more directly, um, and to and to care about other humans more than I ever have before because I know that this person who maybe disagrees with this person and says all these things, uh, or this this people group that's notoriously brutal and vile and whatever, um, that there's a spiritual being that has brought that about. Right, that it's not something that humanity just created, uh, you know, on their own, but it is a spiritual being who wants to wipe humanity off the face of the earth and to control it and to take it over. And you, you just mentioned there, church conflict as a result of demonic spirituality, and that really is James's theology mm-hmm. about demonic activity. Yeah, um, James chapter three verse fourteen says, "If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth." This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So right there, we, and you know, in a sermon I preached in in the in uh, in the podcast I did last week, I talked about how one of the main agendas of demons is to pervert um, worship through corrupting theology, mm-hmm. and that's definitely true. Um, but it's it's that's not it. Like James sees. The desire to be arrogant and to boast in such a way that destroys the local Christian community, he says, like, yeah, demons are at work in that. That's mm-hmm. demonic. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Old Testament believers, uh, the, the Jewish people, whenever they, let's just say the the golden calf, we'll just say constructing the golden calf and 
taking uh, doing ritual worship with it. There's different theories. Were they improperly worshiping Yahweh, or do they create a new god that they were worshiping because they were mad at Yahweh? Whatever way you want to take it uh, is that they should have been worshiping Yahweh, and they took on the tools and the form of other spiritual beings to worship Yahweh. So if you are a believer and you're a member of a local church and you are gossiping about people, you go to sleep about go to sleep thinking about how much you disagree with that person and how much you want to tell them off on Facebook again the next morning. Um, you're using the tools of Satan in your relationships with Christians. You're using the mm-hmm. tools of Satan, and you're and when you're harboring bitterness in your heart on a Sunday morning because you don't like the way that this person sang the song or what this person said or you know how that person's going to vote, you are using the tools of Satan in worshiping Jesus on a Sunday morning. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's demonic. It is, and there, it, man, it's all over the place. It, I've been a part of churches that it, Satan had just had a stronghold in in that local church because of the people. Maybe some of them weren't believers and followers of Jesus, but maybe some of them were, and they were they were they were fighting with the enemy. They were against a brother or a sister in the church more than they were against the spiritual forces that are behind all this division. Mm-hmm. It's it's terrible, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. You have to know whenever that creeps up into your mind, uh, uh, and uh, that that causes you to view another Christian or another church member uh, lowly and poorly. That's you are being tempted to sin. You are being called into um, into the the mission of the demonic forces, which Mm -hmm. is to destroy God's imagers. And with Christians, if if Christianity. Um, it brings if Jesus and making disciples and bringing people into his father's family, if that's a picture of new creation and a reconstituted humanity, then how much more should you want to love one another? That's right. Right? Yeah. Because the Christian is the most hated by the evil one. Because mm. the Christian is being renewed and it's going to be brought into new creation, which is going to be the perfect and the truer and better Garden of Eden where no serpent is going to exist, mm-hmm. where no spiritual being is going to have some sort of geography that they are ruling and reigning over. It's going to be pure, undefiled sovereignty, worship, and access to to the triune God. So, you said geography right there. So, let's just go right there down this rabbit hole. You look at Deuteronomy 32, what happens at the, at the Tower of Babel is that God divides mankind, fixes them to borders, and then appoints sons of gods to rule and reign over them. And these sons of God, are they're perverted, and they're later on referred to in Deuteronomy 32 as demons. Um, so, a question would be, do demons rule and reign over specific geographical areas? Are there borders that are fixed for their rule and reign? Is there more demonic activity in this part of Des Moines rather than that part of Des Moines? Like, explain to us what theologians call um, spiritual geography. Yeah, I, I would Sorry, say cosmic geography. Yeah, so yeah. I, I would say I, I believe that, and you know, people get that from from Deuteronomy thirty-two. So if if a particular people is being given over to another. Uh, member of God's divine council. God is not claiming them explicitly as his own people group. He just chose one. He chose Israel for himself, but he has signed to the sons of God the rest of the nations. So if that's the case, then it makes sense that they are given a realm of of geography or uh, an area where they are wielding their influence. Because right, and this was this was um, punishment to humanity for them not. Uh, spreading out throughout the world, um, but those sons of God were supposed to reign justly, um, and so Psalm eighty-two is the punishment of the sons of God that don't reign justly and don't um, don't point people to worshiping Yahweh and to be reconciled and being brought back into uh, being a part of Yahweh's people. So, with Jesus coming and opening up um, to and bringing Gentiles into the fold, grafting Gentiles into um, to Israel is is the beginning of God making for himself one earthly family again. But there still are these spiritual beings that seek to control people, to blind them, um, to keep them from seeing Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who's coming back again to to usher in new creation. Um, So I would say yes. And I don't know how to... 
I, I don't think you can put like a mile marker on it. I don't think you can put a zip code around it necessarily. But I, I think if where sure, where sure. you see evil, if you were to create a, a heat map, okay, and you see a, a image. you see a lot of evil taking place in one area, you've got to say, man, there's something, some spiritual uh, force of evil is at work here more intensely than somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think you have to say that. Yeah, because yeah. if if humans are being tempted into sin and, t- and tempted into destroying one another, there's a spiritual force that's at work behind that. Yeah, and so here's like a weird here's a weird story that comes through in the Old Testament that illustrates cosmic geography. Naaman, have, have we talked about Naaman on the podcast before? Did I, maybe? Yeah, let's go there just once let's more. Just then. This is helpful let's, for this story. Yeah. So there's a story in is that second yeah Second Kings chapter five where Naaman, who's a Gentile, has leprosy. He, long story short, Naaman crosses the border to Israel and experiences healing while he's participating with another Israelite prophet. He went to talk to the prophet. The prophet told him, told his servant, to, hey, go do this. Wash oh, yourself, dip right. yourself down. Yeah. And he does, and he's clean. He, yeah. he experiences healing. And then he healing. comes back and talks to him. Yep, okay. And so he experiences healing, and then Naaman has to go back to his country. And he asks for, and this is literally in your Bible, he asks for a load of dirt. Here's the way that Naaman says it in in first or second Kings. He says, "Please let a load of soil on a pair of mules be given to your servant, for your servant will never again bring a burnt offering and sacrifice to other gods, but only Yahweh." So he experiences healing in Israel. He's going back to his Gentile country. He asks for a load of dirt to bring with him. What's going on? Yeah, he understands that this god is the true God. He's the God of gods. And this is, this is where he has his people. And this is where he is exerting his, his, um, his energy for his people. Now, obviously God is sovereign over all of creation, but people had the mindset of this is, this is your God. And this is where he is. He's here. This is the soil that he has claimed for his people. So I, I, I'm, I want to be one of his people. I, I believe in him. I'm going to give my loyalty to him, but I've got to go back to where I'm from. So can I take some of the soil here to remind me that, that, they're, that the God of gods is not the gods that my people worship, but it's the God of Israel. So I'm taking, I'm taking some Israel with me. And we, I think yeah, the last time we talked about it was, is he put in his pocket when he'd go into you know, pagan worship? Did he create a garden with it and you know grew <laughs> grew stuff out of it? Did he keep it in some jars and look at it and meditate about the God of Israel? We don't know what he did with it. Um, I, I doubt he was just using it for some topsoil to grow some grass with. But um, <laughs> but he was going to use it in his worship. So maybe he right. maybe he created a a box that he kneeled down on the sure. soil to yeah. worship and to pray to Yahweh. Maybe that's what he did. Yeah, the Bible leaves it to our imagination. Yeah. But he used it and incorporated it into his worship of Yahweh. His He shifted his allegiance from the God that he formerly served and shifted it to Yahweh. And he wants to use this soil somehow in the worship of Yahweh. We don't know how, but he's using it. Because he believed that the God of Israel was the true God. So he wanted to take some a piece of Israel with him. And you, like this, you, you see this like in, in Exodus. We don't pick up on some of this stuff, but... But the route that God took the um, the the Jewish people through, it was it was land of other gods, and He was mm-hmm. saying, "Look, you guys heard what I did to the gods of Egypt. I'm coming through here. You can't stop me. Right? I'm going to go through the the they call it the land of the gods, where these the foreign gods from Egypt they had they had power over there, and you didn't really want to go out there because they might kill you or sneak up on you. Um, but Yahweh takes His people through there, and nothing happens to them." He takes them through the Red Sea. Nothing happens to them. Yeah, the Red Sea. That's where, that's where the uh, that's where Ra was descending down to do battle in the underworld, mm-hmm. and Yahweh takes his people right through all the chaos. Right. It's like you know, old was it Teddy Roosevelt that had the uh, the Navy like go around all over the place, sail all over the place to show the other powers like, hey, look what we got. Don't mess with us. That's <laughs> yeah, what Yahweh is doing. That sounds like Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was him. Um, but that's what that's what Yahweh was doing. He was signifying that he had power over over these other gods. He had power over over all these other cosmic geographies. Um, and I think that still exists today. I think there is spiritual oppression in certain areas that are higher than others because 
um, there's a spiritual entity behind the evil that's going on there. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, at a local level, thousands of years later, there's a there's a satanic bar in Des Moines called Black Sheep, right? You you, you like it's got six 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 I think above the doorway. You walk down it, you go you go underneath. It's an underground bar. Um, they've got movie horror movies playing when you go down there. It's kind of dim. It's dark. Everything is kind of satanic themed. Um, there's like even a a pulpit there. Um, should we expect that to have real demonic powers ruling and reigning over it in a unique way, or are they just being goofy? You know? Yeah, I don't. I've not read much about them, but from what I have gathered, it's it's a gimmick. But sure. But there's something behind there of you know it's uh, you know the, the the creation of like the you know the traditional satanic figure that we have in our minds was like them mocking the devil. But if in, in your mind you just have like this kind of man-like thing with a tail and some horns and a pitchfork and he's red all over. It kind of, if you have that caricature in your head of Satan, then it's like, oh, he can't do anything with me. He can just, poke me. just what does he want to do? Poke me with that little yeah. that pitchfork. Um, I, I heard that was an invention of uh, reform reformers. Yeah, it was. Right during Halloween. So uh-huh. reformers would celebrate Halloween by dressing up as the little red devil with the little horns to mock Satan as being overthrown by Jesus. Yeah, and I, I think that's good, but I also think that's unhelpful. It's created a lot of unhelpful imagery in pop Agreed. culture. Agreed. Um, but but yeah, so maybe maybe there is. Maybe it's just like oh, I'm doing this funny thing, just like yeah, you know, um, we got these other restaurants in Des Moines that have these themes, and this is just like another theme of that. Either way, I don't think that's cool. <laughs> sure. I wouldn't do it. I'm not going to go there. Um, but I, I man, I, when I think about um, cities with, or just, just parts of Des Moines that have um, huge issues with poverty, um, huge issues with violence, huge issues with drugs, huge issues with fatherlessness and generational domestic abuse. I think that there's a spiritual being at work in those particular areas. In, so, even if we look at a higher level, do you think that's still true? Take things like massive decisions made at a political level to destroy the image of God in creation. Roe v. Wade. Dude, abortion. I think that that is... The murder of a person is the most satanic thing. Mm-hmm. It is them trying to eradicate imagers of God. And so, I think that... Abor- Abortion is, is is an area of our society where spiritual beings, they're the ones controlling all of it. Yeah. And they're trying to, to build, it up, build it as, uh, hey, we'll tell the people this is for women's health. We'll brand it as that. So it's just for women to be, you know, to have control over their, their bodily health. They're not just, they're not coming out and being like, and there's a, actually been a couple of people that have come out recently and in the news and online and been like, yeah, I don't mind. I, I'll kill whatever I want. It's, it's my body. I can kill whatever's inside of me. Yeah. So some yeah, people will come really out. Bad, man. Some people will come out really and say gross. that, but, but forever it's been told to us, this is a, it's a political issue. This is a human rights issue. This is a women's health issue. The spiritual beings, they're not dumb, right? They're not dumb. They're going to do whatever they can to sink their teeth into human beings. Mm-hmm. And if you look at places where there are abortion clinics, in our city, it's in some of the poorest areas in our city. So where you see this overlap of violent crime, of drugs, of domestic abuse, of of fatherlessness, it, ha- it like these spiritual beings want nothing more than to destroy humanity. Genesis three, death is ushered in mm-hmm. through the serpent figure. Exodus, it's Pharaoh who's destroying babies. Uh-huh. Um, the Gospels, it's Herod who's killing babies. I mean, it, it seems like there's a direct and strong lineage there. There's spiritual be- beings behind the murder of human beings. Like that, it, it, It's not just some human plan that we've come up with. So, um, so, I think that is why Christians should be people who are against the murder of unborn children, who should be against the, the murder of someone mm-hmm. in a country far away from here uh, because some... Sp- because someone wants uh, to create these, create an endless war so that um, they can get rich off of. Humans should be for human, uh, Christians should be for human flourishing because that's God's ideal. Yeah. And yeah. human flourishing is most fully 
experienced and appreciated in the context of following Jesus. So, right, right. so we care about these social issues. We care about issues of, of racism because racism is the demeaning of another human being. Satan's behind racism, mm-hmm. right? We see, when you see, when you, even in, the, in ancient history and you read about tribalism and warfare between tribes, and it still exists today in parts of the world where they are literally killing each other because of some geography, because they look different, because they talk different. There's a conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia right now mm-hmm. because they want this particular geography, and they're murdering each other over a piece of ground. Yeah. That's spiritual force. That, that, that is spiritual forces of evil that are causing, they're playing with humans. That's right. That's right. What, yeah. what people want to say the Christian God is playing human, they're playing Christians like a video game. That's what the evil one does. Yeah. He's using humans to kill each other. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even have to go out and pull a gun out. He will, he will tempt people into taking a gun out and fighting each other and murdering each other because he hates humanity so much. He sees God in humans. He sees them as God's little statues that are, that are scattered throughout the world. And Satan knows that he's got a time limit on what he can do. His, his, his army of demons know that they've got a time limit on what they can accomplish because Jesus did not stay dead which then means that the humans that are Christians, whenever they die, they're not going to stay dead either. They're going to rule and reign with Christ over a perfect world and a perfect humanity. Um, so, he just wants to cause as much chaos as possible. Mm-hmm. He, wants to, he, wants to, he seeks to destroy and to kill. He's the thief in the night all the time. Yeah, man. So, I, I think that that should one, make you pray harder and more. That should make you want to love your brothers and sisters in your local church more. That should make you care about your neighbors more. And that should make you care about the issues in your neighborhood or in your city and in our country and in our world. That should be the end result of knowing that there are intelligent spiritual beings at work to bring death and destruction and disease in this world. That, man, and studying that, that should make you want to follow Jesus more closely. Yeah, I agree. Let's end on that note of spiritual warfare, too. I think one mistake is when you when you hear about people talking with a rich and biblical demonology and a, a good theology of the powers of darkness, some, sometimes you can slip into silliness and think, mm-hmm. okay, so spiritual warfare means that we've got to look for demons in every bush and we've got to target specific areas and go grave sucking or whatever weird stuff. Satan's in the yeah. Lion King. Yeah. 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 Like what, whatever, you know, um, let's push those aside and let's just end by saying, how do Christians participate in spiritual warfare? What, what would be your biggest encouragement in this podcast? So, I mean, I, you did a great job of talking about prayer for your brothers and sisters in the church to repent of sin, to be um, taken and brought into holiness. That's that's spiritual warfare, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's corny. People hear prayer warrior all the time. I grew, I grew up hearing that word all the time. Oh, well, you know, Miss Betsy, she's a prayer warrior. And, mm-hmm. You know, so if you want God to listen to something, you take it to Betsy. Yeah, it, it, it gets goofy. But there's a reason why people started, I don't know the etymology of that whenever it became came into existence. But Paul talks about, Prayer is spiritual warfare. Yeah. So, so you can. So if you you know someone in your community group or in your fighter group or someone in our, in your local church um, is struggling with a particular sin, or um, you know whatever that might be, or they're harming themselves, or they're not living life as God intended them, you're praying for them so that the evil one cannot destroy them. You're engaging in warfare. You're calling in airstrikes on behalf of your brother and sister to destroy the works of, of the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're praying for an unbelieving friend or family member or neighbor, you're, you're calling in airstrikes, or as Jude would say, you're tr- snatching people from the fire. You're keeping them from That's perishing. Right. Yeah. So prayer is a, is a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I think giving it the context of spiritual warfare helps you know how to pray better. Um, like I get into ham radio stuff and there's all these protocols and a test that you have to go through, but you have to go about things in a certain way. And so the more you read your Bible, the better you're going to pray. Yeah, totally. And it doesn't mean you're praying these eloquent prayers, but you're knowing, okay, God, how do I, what is your will? Okay. Your will is for me to be godly, be holy because you're holy. 
Your will is for me to be conformed into the image of Christ. Okay, so what are the implications of those two things? God, help me to not lose my patience with my children. God, help me to be tender with my spouse. God, help me to be a good church member. God, help me to pray for, for the oppression of others. God, help me to love people who are different than me. Like, reading the scriptures helps you know how to pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word, man. What would you What would you say? Um, I would allow I would allow a grid of spiritual warfare to inform the way that you view sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in our church um, are really frustrated with what they think their track record is with sharing the gospel, um, because you know they they've shared the gospel someday they preached the gospel and it's been rejected and they feel like it's been a failed preaching of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But if you properly understand spiritual warfare. Of course, we want to see the salvation of sinful people. Of course, mm-hmm. we want to see people repent and turn to Jesus. And yet, if you see preaching the gospel through a lens of spiritual warfare, you come to the conclusion that there is no such thing as a failed preaching of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Every preaching of the gospel is effective. Perhaps not on the earthly realm. We see people reject it and walk away from it. But at a heavenly realm, we have to know that when we preach the message that Jesus died for sinners and he has shamed the powers and principalities. Every time we preach that in the heavenly realms, the powers and principalities are shamed, humiliated, and darkness is pushed back. Yes. So some of you guys need to go back and you need to reevaluate these times that you've shared the gospel with people and you're licking your wounds saying, ah, man, I failed at that. You didn't. You did push back darkness in the heavenly realm, whether you see that or not, because there's no such thing as a failed presentation of the gospel. Dude, that's so good. Yeah, that's that's the mindset that we need to constantly have because we're not the general in the army. That's right. right. That's right. Um, but we've given a we've been given a, a mission, and that mission is to make disciples. Mm-hmm. Our mission is to teach people to obey Jesus. Our mission is to baptize those believers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those goofy conversations that you have. It may have felt goofy to you, yeah. But the Satan, his skin was curling. That's right. Whenever you preached about Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That's right. That's right. Um, any last words, bro? I think I put all I out. I can, man. It's good to be back. <laughs> this is good. This, this is a good. conversation, man. Started off a little sloppy. That's my bad, guys. I'm getting back into the swing of things, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good day, church. We we love you. We hope that this conversation deepens your deepens your theology of demons a little bit and deepens your theology of Jesus and his victory a lot. Mm -hmm. And we also hope that this podcast, we hope it helps you worship local. Yes. Thank you.